I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the, um, to the Old Testament book of, of Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 25 this morning as we begin a brand new sermon series entitled The Nightmare Before Christmas. I know a lot of you may have seen a movie by this title uh, in years past, and I'll tell you that this sermon series it has nothing to do with Halloween. It has nothing to do with uh, Christmas land. It has nothing to do with candy canes, anything like that. This literally has to do with God's people living through a nightmare. This is a history sermon series. Just as, as all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus, this sermon series is, is meant to do the same thing. It's looking at these nightmares that God's people lived through before Christmas, before the birth of the Messiah. Before we jump into Jeremiah chapter 25 this morning, it's going to be really important to know some of this backstory before we start we kind of know exactly what's going on. That'll be helpful. So, if you can remember, when Moses led God's people through the desert, and then Joshua took them into the promised land, the entire group of people, million people, they broke into their 12 tribes, and 11 of those tribes was, was given land as an inheritance. And so they started living in their land. One tribe, the Levites, were the priests to all of the 11 tribes. And so all of these tribes lived in different areas around the promised land, and there was for a while no real government. We would call this, these people, this people, Israel. But we're told in the Bible that everyone kind of did what they felt was good in their own eyes. God sent judges to help keep the peace and help direct the people. But at one point, the people said, we want a king. We don't want judges. We want to be like those other nations around us, and we want a, we want a king. So King Saul came into power. And after King Saul, King David came into power. David moved his headquarters to Jerusalem, when he passed away, his son Solomon came into power, and then we started to see this division happen amongst God's people. These different tribes started to form their own alliances. And what we will end up having now is a northern territory that splits from the southern territory. So now God's people who were one are now two separate nations. We have the northern territory that's going to hold on to the name Israel, and we have the southern territory, which is going to take the name Judah. But see, God's commandments and promises to his people never changed. Even though God's people changed, they changed where they live, they changed their government, they changed their alliances. God's promises never changed. And God's direction for them never changed. Not since they came into the promised land. God had told them, he says, if you worship me, I will be your God. And don't worship anyone else and we're going to be fine together. 
Here's one other thing about God's promises. God's promises are always kept. He told the people that life would not be fun if they were to worship other gods. He said, this is, this is my, my rule. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You worship me alone. The northern kingdom of Israel, at this point as we sit in our story in, in Jeremiah 25, was the first to be punished for their massive disobedience and spiritual adultery. In the year 722 B.C., the Assyrians, a northern group, a very strong, powerful government, came in to Israel, that northern kingdom. They ransacked, they destroyed, and the northern kingdom of Israel was gone. New people moved in. A lot of people died. A lot of people were taken into captivity. Israel had been destroyed. Towns burned. Animals killed. People killed. It was God's wrath on a nation due to their blatant disobedience and disregard for his command. But the northern kingdom should have expected this. They knew this. It was no secret. Because God had made a promise that would give everyone a chance. Would give the nations a chance to follow God, to make their choice to follow God. And they chose not to. And destruction is what happened. So that leaves us now with the southern kingdom of Judah. Inside the southern kingdom of Judah is the city of Jerusalem. And this is where David set up his government. And this is where king after king after king, we're going to look at about, about 20 different kings in this southern area of Judah. Maybe eight of them were good kings. Many of them, as kings, worshipped other gods told the people to worship other gods. Judah continues to dishonor God, and the cycle continues. God, during this time, even before the northern kingdom had been annihilated, he had sent prophets. Now, prophets are not pastors. Prophets are men who actually speak on behalf of God. Let me tell you something about prophets. Nobody liked prophets. These would be the guys who are out on the side of the street and they are yelling what sounds to be somewhat incoherently telling you something that you probably don't want to hear and probably is not too terribly popular in your society. People who you might not even pay attention to because... They're speaking a truth that you put in the back of your mind. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. He served in the city of Jerusalem, lived outside the city of Jerusalem, but he served there numerous kings that came to power. He was the prophet in their time period 
40 to 50 years he was a prophet, and he talked to the people, and he told the people, this is what God says, and he told them over and over and over. And Jeremiah had this message that he continued to speak to the people and remind the kings and remind the people of God's promises. At the time in our story, Jeremiah 25, we're about 120 years after the northern kingdom has already been destroyed by the Assyrians. Trust me, everyone knew about it. Everyone who lived in Judah knew that their northern neighbors had been destroyed. The entire territory had been destroyed. It's part of their history. They have family that may have been carted off into exile, into other lands. So here we are, 120 years after the northern kingdom has been taken off and destroyed. And about 600 years before the birth of Jesus right now, okay? And I want you to hear what Jeremiah the prophet says to the people. Come with me. We're in Jeremiah. We're in chapter 25. We're going to start in verse number 1. Jeremiah says this. The word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. For 23 years, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land that the Lord has given you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve or worship them. Do not arouse my anger with your, what your hands have made, and then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. And you have brought harm to yourselves. Here's the first point in your notes for those of you taking notes this morning. Before correction, God always gives clear warnings. Before correction, God always gives clear warnings. It was no secret to the people of the southern kingdom what would happen if they had a continued disregard for God's promise. They had seen it happen to their northern neighbors. I wonder... I wonder if it's a generational thing. We're about 120 years after the northern kingdom had been taken captive. A lot of the southern tribe, the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, a lot of those people may not have been there and actually seen what had happened. I wonder if the new generation was living a life and saying things like, you know, uh, that's... God's wrath is just a myth. It's, it's, just, it's just a story. I wonder if this generation thought, you know what? We don't live like that anymore. We're better than that. Like God wouldn't do that to us. I wonder if this generation thought that maybe we're more sophisticated than that prior generation. Maybe they thought that when Jeremiah spoke, they just kind of excused it because they said, well, God is love and he wouldn't do anything like that to us. I wonder if a new generation had a change 
or told themselves that God's promises were for other people. The life of a prophet was not a life of ease. It was not a life of comfort or fame or fortune. As a matter of fact, not many people really liked you. You think that a pastor might be scorned for coming up and, and giving a message once a week. People really don't like to hear about their sin. Prophets straight up called people out about their sin often. And they would call people out. They would call leaders out, kings. In our world, it would, it would be somebody talking to presidents and world leaders and calling them out. How popular would they be? Probably not very popular. But see, here's the thing. Prophets spoke truth. And a lot of people didn't like it. But there's one thing about truth. Truth has no relevance on belief. Your belief has no relevance on truth. It doesn't matter what you believe. You don't have to believe something for it to actually be true. Jeremiah knew what was coming. He warned people what was coming. But he could do nothing. He could not find himself in a position to change the moral direction of a nation. But what he could do was continue to be obedient. And obedience required him to speak to people in a way that people could not stand to listen to. I'm going to take you to the book of 1 Kings chapter 9. And we get a lot of this story from the book of First and Second Kings. First Kings chapter nine, where in verse number six it says, "But if you or your sons indeed turn away from from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have placed before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut Israel off from the land of which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name, and I will expel from my sight." So Israel will become a saying and an object of derision among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by it will be appalled and hiss and say, Why has the Lord done such things to this land and, and this house? And they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and they adopted other gods and worshipped and served them. For that reason, the Lord has brought all of this adversity on them. Here's the application for us. There are no surprises with God. He really does a very good job of explaining all of his expectations and laying out all of the warnings. Belief is irrelevant. God lays it all out. Belief is not truth. If he promises blessings, God's going to come through with blessings. You might not know what they are. God might surprise you with blessings. I said that God, God has no surprises. He might surprise you with blessings, but he won't surprise you with bringing a blessing that he's promised. He also won't surprise us with bringing correction or discipline that he has promised. If he promises wrath, 
if he promises correction or discipline, we need to believe that God's going to keep that. It's surprising reading back into the Bible why the people disregarded God's word knowing that he keeps his promises. What's even more surprising is that even today people disregard God's word knowing that he keeps his promises. And here we come to the part of the promise or the part of the story when God has to stand firm in his promise. Jeremiah 25, we're in verse number 8. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and those nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. I wonder if your parents ever said anything like this, or as a parent, if you've ever said anything like this. You ever said or you heard, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it, hurts me, right? As a kid, that didn't make very much sense to me. When my dad would say that before he pulled his belt off, I really didn't, I couldn't understand it because I was the one who was hurt. I was hurting. I didn't see my dad crying. I was hurting. I was the one in pain. And I didn't quite understand. I wonder if God feels the same way. I wonder if before God has to discipline and has to correct, I wonder if God says, you know what, child? This is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. Just like a parent, we tell our kids what's going to happen if they disobey and you know as a parent that you have to stand firm because if you don't, your, your child may be in danger if we don't correct them. As much as it hurts us to correct our children, we have to do it because maybe we've made a promise to our kids that says, look, if this is your action, this is the result. And if we didn't, our children grow up Assuming that there's no authority, assuming that they can get away with any, every, anything, and what happens? They walk into pain. They walk into disaster. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. And we've talked about this. God always keeps his promises, and not all of his promises are joyful. I know that's a big deal. There's a misconception among Christians and especially some of those outside of the church that belief in God equals a pleasant life. Many believe that whatever you believe is going to lead to a good life that is defined by whatever you want a good life to be. There are, there are promises that people no longer want to believe that God has made, but they are indeed a promise. And God will keep his promises 
even if those promises don't lead to a joyful outcome. It's the same thing that happened to the Israelites living in the northern kingdom 120 years before this moment in time was about to happen. And those who lived in Jerusalem and all of Judah, they continued to refuse to heed the warnings that God had given them and just said, simply be my people. And I'll be your God. And they refused. I want to put this in perspective for you. Babylon is still an area that exists. It'd actually be in modern-day Iraq. It would be across a desert from Jerusalem. One of the things that the Jewish people really cared about, even through their hypocrisy, was their temple, the temple that Solomon built. They cared about the temple and the things in the temple. They cared about their heritage. But God said, he says, that's not what I'm after. I'm not after heritage. I'm not after your national history. I'm not after your objects. I want your hearts. I don't want your celebration. The Bible says that God actually called on his servant, Nebuchadnezzar, to come from the north. Nebuchadnezzar is the leader of Babylon, and God calls on a leader of another nation to come and destroy, to come and correct his people. How bad is it that we have angered God or, or his people have angered God so much that God uses a national enemy to devastate and destroy the land? When the armies of Babylon came into Jerusalem and came into Judea, the battle was not pretty. The siege, they laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And it was not pretty. Many people died. Many people died by the sword. Many people may have been burned alive. Many people from the, this army, many people, the victims of this army, this army came in and showed no mercy. The army came in, they went into the temple. They took everything out of the temple that was sacred. They took the gold, the tablets, the ritual items. They went into the Holy of Holies. They, they destroyed everything, and they took everything of value, and they took it back to their own land. Everything that the Jews saw as sacred was gone. Someone came in and took it. You know what's interesting? To them, the items were sacred. But the relationship with God was apparently very fluid. It was okay to them. It wasn't okay that somebody else come into the sacred temple and take the belongings. That's not okay. But it was okay for them to commit spiritual adultery. A lot of widows and elderly and children lost their lives died right there in Jerusalem and the surrounding lands. But there were quite a few people, healthy people, who did live through this, and they made the long journey now by foot from Jerusalem to Babylon because now they're being taken captive. They're literally led by foot out of their land. If You can, you can almost see this picture in your mind of, of Jerusalem and the people in their weakest moment and they're walking in tears 
Because behind them, they see their holy land. They see, they see their old home in flames and just smoke coming up. And here they are, driven by the sword across the desert to a foreign land to now be slaves to another people. And they watch soldiers just desecrate their holy items. God keeps his promises. It might be easy to, see, to say, well, pastor, uh, this doesn't sound like a very joyful Christmassy kind of sermon. It really doesn't. Why are, you, why, why, are, why are you preaching this around Christmas time? This literally sounds like an, a nightmare. Because it is. This was the last of God's people, the descendants of those who Moses and Joshua brought into the promised land. And they formed, they formed nations. This is the last of those in God's promised land that are now being walked out across the desert to be servants to another nation. Hundreds of years before, hundreds of years before, their parents and their grandparents and new generations had been promised this land of milk and honey and had come into this promised land. And now those dreams and those hopes are gone because they've been conquered by another nation. Some people could sit back and say, God, why did you let this happen to us? God, where was your protection? God's protection was there. But it, his people were overcome by disobedience. This was a promise. God says this. His point is this. He says, I have told you, and I have told you, and I have told you, and I have told you. I am God. I don't need to ask you. I have the right to tell you. I have made you a promise that if you worship other gods, if you commit spiritual adultery, this will happen. I don't break my promises, but, and this is big. Come back with me into Jeremiah. We're in chapter 25. This is, this is amazing. We're in chapter 25, verse number 12. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their wrongdoing in the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. Here's the third point that I want you to write down this morning. God never leaves his children without hope even after correction. As the people were leaving Jerusalem with a sword at their back and they were forced to walk across this desert, Jeremiah watched as God's chosen people are leaving the promised land and Jeremiah mourns. But there's the amazing thing about God and his love for his children. He might and he will send correction. Some are going to call it discipline. But that's not the end. If God's correction and discipline was the end of the work in the lives of his people, there would be no hope. If God's correction for us and his discipline for us was the end, we would have no hope. God always 
follows correction and discipline with hope. He told those who are about to be enslaved in Babylon that they were going to be enslaved for 70 years. Now, it's easy to think that some of these people who are walking across the desert, that they're not going to live 70 years. They might know, 70 years? I'm not going to make it that long. Yeah, that's right. It might be a death sentence in exile. But there is a glimmer of hope that God's people will have another chance. Years after that these people walked into Babylon, Jeremiah the prophet He keeps doing his work, and he keeps telling God's people, even when they were enslaved, he tells them this. We're in Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 10, Jeremiah 29. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Verse 5, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what uh, what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that, you, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Here's the application. God did correct the people of Judah. He promised that he would, and he did, but he left them a glimmer of hope. See, God corrects you and me, but he always leaves us hope. I want you to realize something. God leaves us hope for his purpose, not ours. There's so many Christians and non-Christians alike who are going to go to verses like Romans 8, 28, and, and, and they're going to read the verse like this. It says, and, and we know that, that all things... God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. That's what people say a lot, right? We hear that. Sometimes people tell themselves that all things work together for the good that I want, and I don't want this good to stop whatever it is that I define as good. This application is so important to understand that all things work together for good, but you and I don't get to define the good. And can't we be thankful that good is not dependent on what we define good to be? Imagine if we were the determiners of good. Imagine if society were the determiners of good, and then you turn and you take this verse and you say, all things work together for whatever society deems as good. No. See, God has a truth that is not reliant on our belief. All things work together for God's good. Many years before this story in Jeremiah, Many years even before that northern kingdom had gone into exile, there was another prophet by the name of Isaiah. 
Isaiah writes this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 1, Isaiah writes this, But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish, but later on he will make it glorious, her as being his people. Verse 2, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. Verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Here's the last point in your notes this morning. Christmas is God's promise fulfilled. As we're going to see in the next few weeks, after 70 years, some of these people, they came back to Jerusalem. They came back to the land. And they were allowed to come back, but they found their city in ruins. Their temple had been destroyed. Their towns had been broken down. The walls were, had fallen. Their old city didn't look like it did when they left. And they would have to rebuild from scratch. And the nation would never look the same. The northern kingdom never came back. The southern kingdom came back. Some of them, not all of them, a few of them came back, but they were never the way that they were. But actually... See, that's what God intended. He didn't want them to come back the same way that they left. Because the way that they left was under correction, was under discipline. He wanted them to come back with hope. He wanted them to come back and finally turn their eyes to Him and remember His promises God does not want you to come back the same way that you left. Not long after this, God went quiet for about 400 years. That's the distance and the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And during that time, the people of Judah, they were overtaken again and again from different armies and different people who had come and would wipe them out again. God never promised that he was going to send a leader to overtake the Romans, to overtake the Babylonians, to never take, overtake the Assyrians or the Egyptians or the Chaldeans or the Samaritans. No. He promised that he was going to come and he was going to write his words no longer on tablets, but he was going to write his words on hearts. Jeremiah 29, verse number 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile." 
if you are here today, even in this room, or if you are here today online watching, and you feel and you recognize that, wow, God feels distant. I feel like I'm in exile. I want you to know that God has not forgotten his promises. And I want you to know that there is hope. A baby boy actually made all the difference. Jesus wasn't born to bring sales. He wasn't born to bring savings to the Christmas season, but rather to bring salvation and hope to God's children. Yeah, it's a nightmare of what God's people lived through. They were given clear warnings God kept his promises. God left a glimmer of hope. And then he brought a Christmas season and a baby who would change everything. The nightmare before Christmas was real. You and I might be living in a time where our lives feel like nightmares. And I'll tell you, without Jesus... There might be a real nightmare in your life before Christmas, before true Christmas, before we realize exactly what Christmas is about. It's about God sending his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you this morning for a lesson from Jeremiah and a lesson that you gave your people and a promise that you gave your people. And Lord, I thank you for never, never breaking your promises, for always keeping your promises. Because even today, Lord, we rely on your promises for our hope and we know that you will keep them. Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't found hope in you, I pray that if they are in the chat room right now, that they'll just raise their hand. Maybe they'll type in, they'll ask Angie to say, Angie, will you pray for me? Because I'm, because I'm in exile. I'm so far away from God, but I know that he, I know there's hope. I know there's a Messiah out there for me. If you're here today, either in our room or online, I don't want you to close your browser today, and I don't want you to leave this room without knowing hope. Don't just walk out knowing you have hope. I want you to walk out knowing Jesus. Lord, today, I just ask for your hand of mercy upon us as we wander into a Christmas season that is full of sales and paper and bows and advertisements and gifts and sales and cyber days. Lord, we thank you for reminding us that as your children, we are told not to worship any other gods, to worship you alone. 
and you will be our God and we will be your children. Lord, this morning we come, we love you, we thank you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.